So it's my joy, uh, it's uh, 10 to 10, and uh, it's my joy to preach the final message in our mini-series, Family, Friends, and Friends Plus. You can keep that slide up. <laughs> Angel's keen to go, hey? Um, and uh, today I want to ask for a little bit of extra time, because as I started preparing for this message, there's just so much that you could preach on this topic, as you'll see in just a moment, but I'm trusting that everything that's shared, that you're not going to feel like this is long at all. I won't be longer than, than, than needed to, but we are going to do a panel again at the end, and we haven't uh, broken bread. I thought we'll break bread at the end of my message um, as a moment for us to pray, because there's different prayer applications that we might find come out of this message. So... Um, it's a great joy to have uh, taken these weeks. If you've missed any of them, I encourage you to go and find them on Spotify, or you can find it on our website. Um, but it's been a great joy to look at what is the Bible's wisdom when it comes to these vital spheres of relationship in our lives. And um, today we are looking at what we're calling Friends Plus, which uh, is really what we're meaning by that is those special friendships that can or do lead towards marriage. And so we've been asking, how can we have uh, happy, holy, and healthy relationships in each of these spaces? And uh, I would just say that uh, Friends Plus is not language we would normally use. So we're not trying to institute new language in this church. We know how these things work. But merely as preachers, we were looking for three Fs for the series. That's it. That's, that's as extreme as it gets. We were looking for three Fs, and so we felt Friends Plus kind of refers to the special relationship between men and women, a relationship that has either the potential to move towards marriage or, in fact, is marriage itself. Just before I get going, I do want to say that I'm so aware that this is a vital topic to preach on, but it's also a potentially difficult topic to hear and that's for a number of reasons. Why is it vital? Well, it's vital because actually Scripture tells us, it commands us in Hebrews 13, 4, that we are all to honor marriage. So that's not just married people, but single people and married people are to honor marriage. And I think maybe if you're not married today, a good thing to ask is to ask yourself the question, how do I or how could I as a single person honor marriage? or marriages, and uh, I think that could lead to a lot of fruitful discussion. I would encourage you to even consider that as uh, community groups. So all people are to honor marriage according to Scripture, and so it's a really vital thing for us to preach about marriage. It's also vital for us to preach about marriage because marriage is potentially glorious and painful. It can be both of those things. And lastly, it's vital to preach on marriage because marriage isn't our idea, it's not culture's idea, it's God's plan, and so God's desire, His intention for marriage is that they would be holy, happy, and healthy, and so we want to preach into that. Now, I said that preaching into marriage is vital, but it's also potentially difficult. Why is it difficult? Well, it's difficult because in a room like this, there will be some people who would desperately like to be married, but aren't yet married. They're unmarried. Or there's some people who were married, but now they're not anymore because of either sin and sadness and divorce or through death. 
and there'll be some who are married, but their marriage isn't a source of delight at the moment, it's a source of pain and stress. And lastly, there might be some people in the room whom God has actually gifted to be single, and actually we should be trying to help them, even while we're trying to honor marriage, we should be trying to help them to live out the singleness that God has for them at this point in time. So having said all of that, you can see why my message is a bit long, going to be long, let's proceed. And as we proceed, I want to take us right back to the start of the Bible, because that's a really, really important place for us to start for a very important reason. You see, what we're about to look at, our beliefs when it comes to marriage, and therefore our beliefs regarding sexuality and its expression and fulfillment, these beliefs are not rooted in culture or in time. And that is a very, very important thing. We're a multicultural church, but what I'm about to say is not what white Western people who live in South Africa think. What I'm about to say is before all cultures and before all time and before sin. And so it's really important that what we look at today is rooted not in culture, not in time, but in creation. And so we're going to go right back to the start. Because what that means is that what we believe today will not need to be updated tomorrow or next year or in 20 years' time or in 100 years' time or in 1,000 years' time because this is how God created the world. So even while the world goes through a sexual and gender revolution, which seems to maybe even be losing steam as it gets more and more confused with itself, we as believers are submitted to Scripture. Can I hear an amen? I'm not convinced yet. We as believers are committed and submitted to Scripture. Amen. And so we get our wisdom in this topic from God's unchanging, beautiful picture in creation. So that's my first point. Angel, cue next slide. God's beautiful design. God's beautiful design. In Scripture's account of God's creation of the world and everything in it, which is Genesis chapter 1, God keeps on creating a whole series of complementary pairs. He keeps creating things like the sun and the moon and light and darkness and the sea and the land and the land and the sky. God's creating complementary pairs wherever He goes. And after creating all of these uh, complementary pairs, God starts filling them with creatures, and you can read about how God fills the depths with creatures, and He fills the sky with creatures, and He fills the earth with creatures, and after creating everything, God keeps looking back, and like, a, like an artist, like I, I live with one, and, and there's that posture where you sit on your, on, your, on your chair, if your name's Nadine, and you go, this is good. And so God keeps creating, and He keeps thinking, hmm this is good. What I've just made is good. And then in Genesis, that's kind of Genesis chapter 1, Gareth's fast-track summary of Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 2 from verse 4 to 24 cycles back to God's creation account and focuses just on day number 6 and goes into greater detail of the creation of humankind. I want you to remember that by Genesis 2 verse 4, the earth is filled with amazingly diverse life. Animals of all sorts of uh, um, descriptions. But there was a problem. 
the problem was that Genesis 2 says there was no one to work the ground. There was no one to put creation to work and make it fruitful. And so God supernaturally decides to create Adam in Genesis 2 verse 7, and there's this amazing picture where God, we're going to preach into sexuality and gender and transgender and all that. We're going to do that early in the new year. And this is a very important verse, Genesis 2 verse 7, God creates a body and then breathes life into that body and that body becomes a human being. But God gave that body and gave life to that body. Note that for next year, okay? Um, but there is another problem. So there's Adam. He's been breathed into life by God, and he's standing there, but there's another problem. And the problem is that at this point, God, having just created Adam, means that Adam is out of sync. He's out of sync with God because God isn't just singular. God is plurality. And Adam is also out of sync with the rest of creation because the rest of creation, there are complementary pairs and there's just an Adam. And so God says the first, it is not good in all of creation. And this is what he says in Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord said, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make... So aren't you so glad that God had a plan already? <laughs> There's not even a verse in between the problem and the plan. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper, say fit, fit. If you've got the NIV translation, it might say suitable. But the NIV translation is great here. It says, I will make a helper fit for him. You see, the problem with Adam on his own is that he wasn't a complementary pair yet, and so he wasn't fully in the image of God. If you know your Bible, um, you need to go back to Genesis 1.27 when God said, let us make man in our image, male and female, God created them, okay? And so at this point, that hadn't happened yet, and so we read on in the text, and this is what it says in verse 19. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man. Just imagine that picture. God's, God's created all these animals, and there's Adam, and God brings all these animals to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. If you ever wondered why a giraffe is called a giraffe, speak to Adam, okay? The man gave names to all the livestock of the birds and every beast of the field, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Verse 20 tells us that this wasn't just a naming ceremony. I've always just seen this as, you know, Adam got to name the animals. But actually, verse 20 tells us that the whole point of this wasn't just to name the animals. It was looking for a reversal of the problem in verse 18. It's not good that man's alone, so God brings all of creation past Adam. He names them, but the, the conclusion is verse 20, and there wasn't anyone fit for Adam. There wasn't a suitable helper found that was fit for Adam. And this is very, very important, this little word, fit, in the NIV, uh, in, the, in the ESV, suitable in the NIV. This little word translated fit for him 
is a Hebrew word that you don't have to remember, but you need to remember what it says. It's konegdo. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. It's a word made up of two words in the Hebrew, and this is what konegdo means. There was no one who was like Adam and opposite to Adam. Does that make sense? There was Because all the animals had been brought before Adam, so there was no one like Adam. Because these are animals and he's Adam. He's a man. So there was no one like Adam, and there was no one opposite Adam. He needed a helper who was like opposite to him. Now, some of you might have thought the sound team had been sloppy this morning and left these things lying around, but they hadn't. A pastor had a plan. So let me illustrate this. Let's say this is Adam. Can we see Adam? Okay, get it out your heads. Okay, but here's Adam. <laughs> Oops, this is getting worse and worse. So we have Adam. Adam this morning is a sound cable. What is a sound cable's purpose? To transmit sound. Okay, and we have a power cable. Are these like each other? No. You're wrong if you said yes, okay? You're just wrong. Just accept it. You're wrong. Okay, for the purpose of this illustration, you are wrong. We have a sound cable that transmits sound. We have a power cable that does something else. It transmits power, okay? So these, are they like each other? These are like all the animals that God brought past Adam. Here's Adam. Giraffes come past. Elephants come past. Mice. Mosquitoes. (laughs) They all come past, okay, and they can't help him to do what he's meant to do, transmit sound. Make sense? If God had brought another one like him, these two can't transmit sound. Doesn't work. Because they like each other, but they're the same as each other. So what God needed to do was supernaturally create another cable like Adam that was opposite Adam so that God's design could work and sound could be transmitted so you could hear me speaking. Are you getting it? I'm just giving you that visual because... This is how amazing your Bible is. I was saying to some people last night, we had a bri, and the more times you need an answer, the more times you go back to Genesis, and the answer is in the very words of Genesis that don't change. There wasn't a helper who was like opposite to Adam in all of creation because they were different to Adam. And so God needed to do something supernatural. Another species wouldn't have been like Adam. And so another species couldn't help. Another male human being would have been like Adam, but wouldn't have been like opposite Adam. And God said, I need a a helper that is like opposite Adam. That would have been like, like Adam. The implications for this one word in your Bible are massive, I think you'd agree. When it comes to gender, homosexual, heterosexual marriage, sexuality. The implications of this one word in your Bible are massive for what the Bible has to say on these topics. No suitable helper 
who was like opposite Adam, was found in the whole of creation. But God decided to fix that. Should we read on? So the Lord, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, stole one of his ribs and closed up its place. I didn't, it doesn't say steal. Took one of his ribs, closed up its place with flesh, and the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, because it was like him, he made into someone who was opposite him, like opposite, made into a woman. And so God fixes, in this moment, supernaturally, God fixes the no complementary like opposite pair problem that creation had by creating a woman from the man. Can I hear an amen? amen. Men, you should be shouting from the rooftops. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know, every time I go to a wedding, and it's one of my joys as a pastor, there's one coming up, every time I go to a wedding, this little moment is replicated in some way normally in the ceremony because uh, I was at a wedding just last, last uh, Saturday and, uh, and the, the, the bridegroom uh, stands here and a, a, a chariot or a car or just walking, someone arrives, his bride arrives, and I always look at only one person's face. I just look at his face and it's just like... <laughs> And, and they look like they've been transposed to somewhere else because, my goodness, you've never looked like that. You know, you like just, you, you're you, but you're you plus, you know. And, and there's this moment where, where another person gets brought to by the dad, normally this man, and they're going to become husband and wife. And, and this is what it says in Scripture. So God makes this like opposite pair for Adam. And then it says, God brought her. God walking down to the man. Can you see the wedding ceremony there? It's God walking down the aisle with Eve. And Adam's just going, <laughs> he just can't contain himself. And so he shouts out, wow! He shouts out, this at last I've seen hippopotami, I've seen slugs, I've seen mice and rats, but this is law at last, bone of my bones. Can you see he's saying, this is like me. This is flesh of my flesh. I've got flesh, she's got flesh, look at that flesh. She didn't even have a dress. Shall she, <laughs> she shall be called, that wasn't in my notes. She shall be called, whoa, man, because she was taken out of man. Guys, this is romance, isn't it? Hey? There's this problem. It's like a, a plot line of an amazing movie. There's this problem. There's this crisis, and the person can't solve the crisis, and you think, what's going to happen? And you munch your popcorn. And then God says, but I'm going to do, and God does this miraculous thing, and then the wedding music starts playing, and next minute, oh my goodness, that's what's happening here. Every time I see a man standing, it reminds me of God bringing Eve to Adam. I'll make a helper, like opposite you, fit for you. And that brings us, all of that's my introduction. 
that brings us to our passage for today. You see, because having created a like-opposite complementary pair, God introduces us to the friends plus category. The very next thing that happens is God marries them. He makes a like-opposite pair and says, you guys should get married. Like that. This was God's plan in creation right from the start. Adam and Eve were going to relate to each other in a different way than all of creation. And they were going to join together in serving God's purposes. You can read that in chapter 1 of Genesis, where God expands on the purpose of creating Adam and Eve, and that they're going to do it together. This special, unique type of relationship that we call marriage is the very next verse. And so from Genesis 2.24, we find that marriage enters humanity's experience And so it's no surprise that every single culture on the planet has got some form of marriage. Every culture that's ever existed has done marriage. There might be slight tweaks as to how they do it, but they've done marriage. And it's because marriage is not an institution of your culture or my culture, but marriage is a creation ordinance. As soon as God made a like opposite pair, He decided that one of the ways that they would relate in the most special way would be marriage. So let's read verse 24 and 5. Therefore, the very next thing that happens, God introduces them and then says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife, can you see the like opposite pair? Both humans, but there's a male and a female. The man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. I I want to read that verse again in the King James, not even in the New King James, in the King James, because it rhymes. Can we do that? Pastors love rhymes, okay? Because it'll help us get something. Because the entire sexual ethic of the Bible is in this one verse, plus Jesus quoting this verse in Matthew 19, uh, verse 6, and adding one more thing. Let's just look at it. Therefore, a man shall leave, say leave, say a man, shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave, can you see why leave and cleave, okay, shall cleave unto who? His wife, and they shall become one flesh. So essentially, if uh, you can put up the next verse, this is the entire Bible's sexual ethic in this verse and Jesus' quoting of this verse and adding one more element. A man shall leave and cleave to his wife for the rest of his life. Jesus added the rest of life. So this verse excludes all sorts of categories of things that go on in our world, doesn't it? That one... That one verse, Genesis 2.24, excludes so much stuff that the, bio, that, that the world says is okay. God's creation design, let's just walk it through step by step. It's not complicated. We just need to choose to submit to it. First, it says man. That's the first part of the opposite, the like opposite pair. Man, shall leave mom and dad. So man must leave. Some cultures really battle with the leaving part. When you get married, you leave mom and dad, 
you don't forget mom and dad. Hey, moms and dads. <laughs> My daughter just got engaged on Friday. Yes, you can leave, but you don't forget. Huh? So you leave. Man, that's one part of the like opposite pair, leaves mom and dad, and then you cleave, you be joined to your wife, who's the like opposite pair, opposite you. And so what the Bible is teaching you is heterosexual marriage is the only biblical marriage, full stop. That's never going to change, because that's the only like opposite complementary pair. So you don't cleave to your boyfriend or your girlfriend or the person you're ukujolering with. <laughs> I've done my research. <laughs> you don't join, you don't cleave to the person that you hope to marry one day. You don't cleave to or be joined to the marry that you, the, the person that you've done umumbeso with. Well, we're going to get married. It's like on the way. You don't join yourself. You don't get cleaved to someone else's wife or anyone else. No, brew, you cleave to your wife and only when she's your wife. Amen. That's it. And once you cleave to her and her to you, God does something supernatural and He makes two people one people. And you might say, huh? Or you can ask Nadine that later on in the Q&A session, okay? <laughs> but God makes two people, one flesh, and Jesus adds for the rest of your life, forever. And so what God has joined together, Jesus said, we mustn't separate, we must stay together. Amen. Bazalwan, this is God's beautiful design, and it never needs updating. Can I please hear a very loud amen on that? There isn't anything else that is godly. This is not hard to understand, but it is very contrary to the norms outside of these rooms. This is God's will for our life, though, and it is His beautiful design that He chooses to bless. Anything else is outside of His plan and is sinful. And so today, maybe you're realizing, maybe you somehow, in some way, have gotten outside. If you just apply Genesis 2, 24 to your life, you might be out of line somewhere in that when it comes to relationships. And I want to say, if that's you, we want to help you. We are here for you, and we love you. Amen? We don't change what God's Word says, but we love you. And we've helped so many people get onto God's plan for their lives. And so we want to walk with you, and we want to help you too. And I want to urge you, if you know, if I take Genesis 2.24 and I put it on my life, it's not lining up like that, it's like that or like that, then reach out for help because we want to help you. Because God is abounding in love. He's quick to forgive and to restore and God can fix whatever's broken in our lives. Amen? So having established all of that, let's change gear quite quickly, and we're going to change speed now. And I want us to first look at singleness. Then I want us to look at how to go from singleness towards marriage. And lastly, I'm going to give you one secret 
for marriage. I'm really sorry if you came today hoping for a 10-step plan for your marriage. Um, that would have been great, and it would have been great to do that, but I really felt like we needed to touch on all these other topics in light of the, the, the position that we're in in our society. So should we jump into redeeming singleness? Friends, everyone is single at some points in their life. You came out single. You came out of mommy's womb, and you were crying, and you were single. You were in a family, but you were single. You, went, you didn't come out with a wedding ring on, right? Okay? You, you, you might have parents who wanted to arrange a marriage, okay, but you came out, you were single. We grow up in our early years, we're single. Some, most people want to get married, and many people do get married. And that is God's design. We've looked at that, but it's not design, God's design for absolutely everyone. And then many of us will be single again. So if you're married, you'll end up being single again, or you'll be the partner who died. And so many people go back into singleness, either through sin and suffering and divorce, or through death. And so in a church like ours, there are many single people. And so can I ask, if you're single right now, won't you just put up your hand so that we can just see in the room? No. Okay, let's just stop. I want to rebuke my brother. You, you, you responded in a bad way. I said, if you're single, put up your hand. It's not a negative thing. I just want to know, if you're single, put up your hand right now. That's it. So there are many people in this room who are single right now. Amen? So I don't want to just preach about marriage and frustrate all the single people, so I want us to speak about singleness. Is that a good thing? Do you feel rebuked? Okay, good. Okay. So to the single people in Record Church, I want to say this. Regardless of what your specific situation is regarding singleness, and there'll be many different situations, we want to say as elders, we see you, we love you, and we value you. And we say that with all sincerity. And it's very important that you know that your life is not on pause. Your life should not be on pause waiting to be married or wishing you were married. You never to think of yourself as not married. You are not not married. You're just single. Those are different. And so I want to tell you, never think of yourself as a less than. You are valued. God knows you. He loves you. And he knows the plans he has for you. Amen. And right now, even if it's not what your best idea of your life is, God's decided that right now your state is, I'm in a state of singleness. You see, God's plan, when we sang Evidence earlier, that's an amazing song. We should sing it every week. The song goes, I declare your goodness over my life. And sometimes it's really hard to sing that because right now you might say, well, when it comes to this, I don't feel any goodness over my life. And then the song points us to the cross and says that the evidence of the cross is the overwhelming evidence that overwhelms all other evidences. The reason I can sing about your goodness is because Jesus left heaven, lived on earth, died and rose again for me, and he saved me from my sin. That's the greatest evidence you ever need of the goodness of God. I want to say to you, if you, if you are single at the moment, 
I want to encourage you to reach a place where you are not feeling like you're on pause, you're not longing it away, but where you don't waste a single moment of this moment in your life that you're single, that you don't waste one moment of it by just longing for another season of life. I also want you to not relinquish your desire to be married, if that is your desire. And I believe you can hold both of those things together. So on the one hand, if you're single, don't, rel- don't, uh, don't feel like your life's on pause. Don't waste a single moment. Then don't let go of that desire to be married, but say, Lord, I'm giving this to you. Is that okay? I want you to look at your singleness biblically and positively. Just think about your Savior. Was he married? The ultimate human being. Do you think Jesus lived a fulfilled life? The most fulfilled, ultimate person on the planet wasn't married, he was single. He wasn't any less than anyone else. He was fulfilled even though he was single. In Scripture, in Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7 in particular, the Bible describes there being two gifts that come from God, the state of marriage and the state of singleness. So marriage is a gift from God, but so is the state of being single. It's a gift from God, according to 1 Corinthians 7, because the single person can give an undivided devotion to God. You see, both marriage and singleness have elements of blessing, and both of them have got limitations, anxieties, and even frustrations embedded in their states. But both of them have got the same purpose, to glorify God with every waking moment of your life, whether you're single whether you're married. So the last thing I'll say on this is there are three mistakes to avoid as a single person. Wasting this moment of singleness that God has assigned to you. That would be a mistake. Secondly, thinking in some way you are less than or not complete because you're not married. That's not the way God sees it. And lastly, you're also making a mistake if you celebrate your singleness in the sense that you're actually being selfish because you can actually celebrate singleness in a way that you're not serving and giving to others, but that you, you can do everything you want and you're actually celebrating selfishness. I would urge you to avoid each of those mistakes. Friends, our life purpose is to live for Him, to serve others, whether we're single or whether we're married. But if you want to be married, how could you proceed from singleness to marriage in a godly and a wise way? Let's have a look at that now. A wise way to go from singleness to marriage. Are you still with me? Or do you need to stand up and stretch? Huh? With me. We're getting there. We're nearly there. To get married, but you want to get married to the right person, right? And you want to get married to the right person at the right time. You know, when, when Kaniso and Nolufefe's little boy took, you might not know the story, took his mom's ring and gave it to a girl in the class, was it grade two? <laughs> huh? It wasn't her engagement ring. It was another ring. 
took a ring from home and decided to declare his undying love in grade one or two to some girl in class and put a ring on her finger. <laughs> and then the mom gets hold of probably the teacher and then back to Nolufefe or whatever and says, is this your ring? You know, so there's a desire there to get married, but maybe there's not the wisdom of the right time. Huh? You know, grade one's probably not the right time. Well, well, if you have a desire to get married, that's fine. But you do want to get married, not to anyone, but you want to get married to a right person at a right time. And I want to say that you want to move from singleness to marriage in a godly way and in a wise way. And so I want to say as a pastor in, in this church that so much of the brokenness that's in your lives, so much of the pain, so much of the hardship in our lives is because people haven't moved from singleness to marriage in a wise way. So much of the pain in life is because of this one thing. We don't do it in a wise way, in a godly way. But as your elders, we want to say we want the best for you, and we want you to glorify God in every stage of life. Amen. We want you to know God's blessing, and God's blessing only comes when you're in obedience to His Word. Lastly, we can't and we won't make rules. The rule in this church is that there's no rule in this church other than the Bible. And so we will not make rules that the Bible doesn't make. But what we do do in Rec Road is we urge you, if you want to move from singleness towards marriage, we urge you to do it in what we call a wise way. We're not saying it is the only way. We're saying it is a wise way. We strongly discourage any form of casual ukujola or dating. We strongly discourage it. We strongly discourage any flippant, flirtatious, messing around other than investing yourself in the life of another, purpose for the, another person for the purpose of finding out whether they might be the right person to get married to. So in Rec Road Church, we encourage couples who sense that there's some sort of serious um, interest or attraction forming with another person we encourage them to follow what we've called the wise way. I'm going to put it up here, and maybe we'll send this out on the WhatsApp group because it's, won't you put up that diagram? You won't be able to read all of that. It looks super complicated, but basically, it's kind of a journey. How would you maybe go from singleness towards marriage? And so on the bottom left-hand side, you'll see, uh, if you're following the orange line, you've got lots of friends. We would encourage you to have lots of friends. We'll send you a better version of this so that you can, you can have it on your phones if you want. The blue dot there is you've got lots of friends. You've got a, you see a godly girl or guy that you feel serious about. They, 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 you've seen their character. You've seen their love for Jesus. You feel some attraction. You can see the green is that you're in a trio. You're in community groups. You've got people around you. You have a chat with someone in a, in a leader, and you say, sure, I've noticed this person, or you tell the guys in your trio, Blue, you've still got lots of friends. You don't suddenly become this, I've only got one person in my whole life. And uh, then you get to this point, where, let's find out. That's really where the process begins. And so I would encourage you to chat with a leader at that sort of stage, chat to the people in your trio, chat to your community group, and then that you'd start what we would call a process of courtship. 
And we've defined courtship in Recro Church as this, as finding out whether this is the person that you want to marry while you do three things. So what I want to do is I want to find out if this is the person. I mean, unless I move towards them, how would I know? So we've defined courtship as finding out whether this is the person we want to marry while I do three things, while I honor God, while I look after my own heart, and while I look after theirs. Because you can easily find out whether this is the right person while you don't honor God, while you don't look after your heart, and while you don't look after this other person's heart. You might say courtship. Uh, let me just go back to that diagram. Why don't you just go back to the diagram? If you reach the, if you reach the point where you, uh, the, the first yellow, where you think, I, I think this is a person that I, I want to find out whether this is the, the person, we've got two booklets. There's a booklet called Wise Way One, which is helping you to find out, is this the right person? And so we'd encourage you to work through that booklet with uh, a couple that, that you feel like you can, you can relate to and you can trust. Someone else who's already married is, is what we would suggest. And that booklet will help you to think through various things about, is this the right person? And at some point, and it's not always when you finish the booklet, but at some point you'll reach a place where you might find, I, I've, I thought this person was nice, but they, they were far from, they were nice. You get to know them or you go through that, that, that book that actually we're really on different paths. And you know what? That is not failure. That is success. Because we define courtship not as getting married. The success of courtship is not getting married. It's merely finding out if this is the person I want to get married to. So if you find out this isn't the person, because it's much better to find out this isn't the person before you get married. Am I right? Because once you're married, Jesus said, forever. So it would be very wise to find that out before you get married. So success sometimes is realizing, oops, I'm looking after your heart and mine, but I really don't feel that we're to, to get married. That's not failure, that's success. Success is also sometimes, man, the more we get to know about each other, the more we love Jesus and the more we love each other, and then you might move on to booklet number two, which is preparing you for marriage. So there's two parts to the wise way. Can you see that? Let's go to the, the next slide. You might say courtship, but that sounds like it's from the 1800s. I mean, who even uses that word anymore? I love the fact that we use a word that no one else uses. Because if someone says, hey, I saw you guys at Galleria, Ukujola, how would you ask that as a question? Niajola. Niajola. Niajola? <laughs> and if they're saying that, they've already got some stuff in their mind as to what's going on. And, and if they say, hey, I saw you at the mall, and you say, yeah, we, we, we've just started courting. Pardon? And you get to tell them what courtship means for you. Courtship is merely me finding out whether this is the person I want to marry while I do three things. You're going to blow their brackets off. What? I've never heard of that. So I want to encourage you that using a phrase that is ours in a church like this, again, this isn't a rule, but I think there's wisdom in it because you get to define what it is. 
And I think that'll be a huge benefit to you. And so we want to strongly urge you, if you want to move from singleness towards marriage, that you use some of the resources we've given you and you access the help that we want to give you. You access the resources, you access external help, you do things openly and honestly so that we can actually walk with you and help you. That's really what we want to do. We want to see so many people get married. You know, as pastors, you do births, deaths, marriages. Births and marriages, amazing. Deaths, not so cool. I'd love to see more people getting married in our church. And so if you're in a relationship right now, maybe say, sure, uh, we haven't been on, we didn't even know about that wise way. Why don't you speak to someone today and we can get people around you and we can get those resources to you. I urge you to not do anything in private because it's just unwise. Amen. And let's bring it to a close. I said I'd give you one secret for marriage. So whether you're married or whether you want to be married, you can take some notes. And I want to give you a secret uh, that is really in the form of a quote from Tim Keller. And although uh, this isn't scripture, um, it is based on the wisdom of Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, and it's got a lovely gospel-shaped wisdom to it. And so I want to read this and just unpack it and then give you one quote that I quote at every wedding service that I ever do. Let's read this quote together. Uh, well, I'll read it. You just listen, but you can watch. The deep happiness that marriage can bring lies on the far side of sacrificial service in the power of the Spirit. You only discover your own happiness after each of you has put the happiness of your spouse ahead of your own. In a sustained way, not I did that last week and it didn't work out for me. In a sustained way, in response to what Jesus has done by basically saying that deep happiness in marriage or the secret of marriage lies on the other side of your spouse's joy. Your deep happiness in marriage lies on the far side, on the other side of your spouse's joy. What I mean by that and what Keller means by that is that when you put the happiness and the joy of your spouse ahead of your own happiness, and you trust that they will do the same for you, you're on your way to an amazing marriage. But you might say, well, how is it possible? How can you love someone? How can you serve someone? How can you serve someone else's happiness when actually there are many times, sadly, in life due to sin, sickness, illness, where the other person might not be that lovely, or they might not even be likable, and they might not be loving you back. How do you do that then? How do you love someone in a way that sometimes they're not loving you back? And the key is to have a reservoir of love. Do you see it in the quote here? At the end, the motivation for everything that's above in this quote is in response for what Jesus has done for you. That's the key. That's the secret. The only way that you can love someone continually 
and look for their joy, not your joy, and find your joy on the other side of their joy, the only way you can do that is if you are responding from what Jesus has done for you. And so you need to have a reservoir of love that you can give to your spouse. So imagine here's Mr. and Mrs., and I don't know if you can see, but there's a little bit of water in each. It's not equal. This one's been reading their Bible more. So it's more love in this one, okay? And if you think about it, many people think, well, marriage is I give you some love. I give you some love. Hey, you need to give me some love back. Oh, yeah. And it's these two people just kind of, dude, what's happening? But there's never more water. Does that make sense? And if you're always the one giving out, then it's like, uh, uh, I, got, I got nothing. Wait, there's a drip. How can I keep looking for your joy? How can I decide I'll be happy when you're happy, when I've given all my love and you're not giving it back, brew? So here's the key. Can I have help? Prince. Let you redeem yourself. <laughs> Stand over there. Thank you. Jesus. In fact, this needs to be a million times bigger. When I'm being filled up, when my source of love is not my spouse, but my Savior, the, un, the immeasurable, undying, continuous, cross-shaped love of Jesus in response to what Jesus has done for you. If, if I was radical, I would have filled this up with water. I thought about it. <laughs> and just going like, <laughs> then it's like, I've got to give this away because this is sloshing everywhere. Do you get the picture? Marriage is not two people just sharing love between themselves. Hey, you haven't given me love for a while. Marriage is a person, it's actually two people who are life-givingly connected to Jesus, having the source of love so that even if you're not lovely, I can imagine that. <laughs> if your spouse is not lovely, I can still give love to you because I'm not giving, this is not a contractual arrangement. I covenanted myself. Can I tell you a secret? Nadine and I, when we made our vows, we forgot. I think it was our pastor must have forgotten. It's much better to blame him. Our, our pastor forgot. We never said in sickness and in health. And that's when it's hardest to love a man, hey? When he's sick. I mean, if he's, if he's got man flu, that is hectic. There are seasons in your life where it's difficult to love the other person. And if you're just sharing the love from each other, you're going to end up in a problem. But when your resource is unfathomable and immeasurable, you will always have love to give. And you know there's this amazing thing. Let's give Prince a round of applause. Hold well on, Prince. 
And there's an amazing thing that happens is when someone consistently loves another person like Jesus, it makes you want to love them back. So when you love with the love you've been loved with by Jesus, and you just keep loving, it's easier for them to love you back. And so you just outgive each other. So the secret for marriage is having a supernatural source of love other than your spouse. And that supernatural for, uh, source is only Jesus. Because then you'll be able to love your spouse in and through all things. And the only way to have that supernatural source of love is to have a personal life-giving relationship with Jesus. And so the key to having a love for each other is having a first love, a greater love for God than for your spouse. Because when God is the source and the reservoir of your love, you'll always have enough love to give each other and to serve each other, no matter what life throws at you. And so paradoxically, if you're married today, do not put one another first. If you're married, do not put one another first. Put God first. And when you put God first, He will lead you to love each other in the most remarkable way. So I'm going to close with a quote that I've read at every single marriage. Guys, I'm going to read it at your marriage. Ningi, I'm reading it at your marriage, okay? I just made this decision that every wedding I ever do, C.S. Lewis will be there. Let me read it. He's basically saying what I've just said, but he said it first. When I've learned to love God better than my earthly dearest, I shall love my earthly dearest better than I do now. Then he gives the contrast. Insofar as I learn, or if I learn, to love my earthly dearest at the expense of God or instead of God, I shall be moving towards the state in which I do not love my earthly dearest at all. When first things, that's God, are put first, second things, my spouse, my love for my spouse, are not suppressed, but increased. The message is a simple one, but it's profound. If you will love God first, if you love God first, he will lead you to love your spouse in the most remarkable way. If you get focused on your spouse, you're moving towards a place that you don't love them at all because you will run out of love for them. And they will be unlovely at some stage. So rather love God first and he will enable you to love them in the most remarkable way. Amen? It's quarter to 11. I want us to take communion now and I want to do it in a, a slightly different way. I want to ask couples to take communion together. I want you, if you're single, to take communion with some other single people. And I want us to just pray together that any, any pain or any things that God's wanting to do in our lives, that God would do a miracle in our lives. Maybe if you're married, God's needing to do something new in your life. Maybe you've gotten yourself focused on the wrong reservoir. If you're single, 
pray with one another, God, help us to understand this season of singleness that we're in right now. And then we're going to have a brief panel discussion with questions and answers. Can we do that? Let's stand and let's get the elements of communion. And then I'm just going to give you a little bit of time to organize yourself. Don't have big groups. Just have groups of one or two or three people. But if you're a married couple, why don't you break bread together? If you're single, just get with one or two other single people and let's pray together. Okay, let's, this isn't time to discuss the World Cup. Just get with, get, get with some people. Just make a little group. Don't make a group of even more than four. We're all brothers and sisters. Okay, no, no, no chatting other than what can we pray for for each other, and then let's just pray. Let's just, we're not going to take long over this. Let's just take time to pray. Let me pray for us all, and then uh, you guys just share in your group or with your spouse. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you died on the cross. Lord, you left heaven. Lord, you lived a perfect life. You died and you rose again for us. Lord, we thank you that these elements remind us of your sacrifice, of your incredible love for us. Lord, love that can sustain us, whether we're single, whether we're in a relationship on the way towards marriage or what might be marriage, whether we're married, Lord, we thank you that our source of love is the same. So we thank you for this amazing reminder. Lord, I want to pray for anyone who's single. Would you minister to them today? Would, you, would they leave today full of encouragement? I pray for anyone who's on a journey towards marriage. God, I pray that they would, they would take a decision today to make that journey a godly, wise journey. And we pray for every married couple, Lord God. Lord, we pray, would you bless them? Would you help them to do marriage well? Lord, would, would, they, would each one of us who married, Lord, make you the reservoir of our love? Would we choose to seek our happiness on the far side of our spouses? Lord, we pray for special grace for those who have lost a loved one. We pray, Lord God, draw near to them, we pray. In Jesus' name. Why don't you just minister? Amen. Amen. Uh, I want to invite uh, my wonderful wife and David and Cindy saw me to just join us up here, and we're going to do a, a quick session of Q&A. Last week, you guys talked for half an hour after the service, but I think today will be quicker. Yeah, Cindy was so good last week, we just <laughs> thought we needed to just keep her here. So... I know we, do, we don't do this uh, often, but we have done this throughout the series, and I think one of the advantages of having an opportunity for just open Q&A is that it helps us to get to what matters to you right now, or, or an issue, like, without us trying to work out what that is, and we've got the joy of being together and being able to hear from other people. So, um, I want to invite you, these guys have prayed and prepared <laughs> and they are so eager to answer your questions on singleness, on uh, courtship, going from singleness towards marriage, uh, on, on marriage, 
Um, so lovely to have David and Cindy up here with us. Uh, we started a, a journey with David and Cindy 19 years ago, something like that. Hey, 19 years ago when we met, <laughs> when we met at the time, they didn't even know Jesus. And, and they were in a relationship, uh, but, uh, but it wasn't God's wise way just yet. But when they came to know and love Jesus, we had the joy of preparing them for, for marriage. And so when, how long have you guys been married now? For 18 years. God, hallelujah. And uh, I'm, sure they'll, I'm sure they'll tell you that marriage has just been plain sailing. It's just always been amazing. <laughs> huh? Something like that. Hey, Cindy? And Dave, huh? Opposite. You just need to put it up. Opposite. Opposite. <laughs> I wish it was. So what qualifies us to be here is that we're married, not that we're professionals. Okay, we don't feel like we've, we've arrived. And, and if you're thinking, why didn't they ask me? Because your marriage is not good enough. No, I'm joking. <laughs> we just didn't ask you. That's it. Okay, so end of story. Uh, but uh, you guys get to ask whatever questions you'd like. So who's going to get us going? The way this normally works is it takes a little bit of time for the first one, and then it gets going. So, uh, and please address someone on the panel. Then it doesn't look like I'm the bad guy who's kind of asking it. So I'll just repeat the question quickly just for the sake of the recording. I think the question, if I summarize it, was, guys, uh, what was difficult in the courtship process for you guys in terms of kind of putting your kind of experience and following the Bible and culture, kind of putting that all together? Is that kind of answer it? Um, what were some of the challenges in that for you guys? Hi, church. Um, some of the challenges is that there are things that we have to cut in our courtship that we were doing before we got married. So there are things that didn't help us to go through that, that process. But uh, the thing is, we, we love God, so we wanted to honor God. Although I, we, I don't see it in the, the way I wanted to before, as before, but God helped me to walk that journey as uh, I was praying, and there are some couples that are, are praying with us along inside us. Although it was difficult, but God did give us the strength to carry on. So, like, so you had uh, been, they had been uh, in a sexual relationship and then had and stopped mm. and as they prepared for marriage. And that wasn't easy, but it, uh, it was something that you guys did. Hey, yeah, praise God. Anything else? Uh, I think I will add on what David said is like we put God first. Uh, when we put God first, we want to honor God and we're able to, to honor one another. But it was God first, more than our culture also, which is not easy. That when God is first, more than the culture. But we have so much help in the journey of culture, how to honor our parents and how to honor our families. But God was clear first. I think that what help us, God just help us to put him first. Yeah. So like with, with these guys, because they had been in a relationship before, we, we really wanted them to get married quickly. And there wasn't time to, to save up, honor God first and still somehow work out a way to honor parents by not even necessarily going through all the steps at the same pace or, pro, you know, kind of sequence, hey, that, that would normally be done. And I think something that we learned as a church is that, uh, with David and Cindy, is that 
marriage these days, quite often, there's three components to marriage. There's the legal component, there's the cultural component, and then there's being married as believers. That's your marriage vow. And these days, there are many times where not all three of those happen on the same day or at the same time. And so our question was, how do we honor God? Hey, how do we... And so actually, you guys got married on a Sunday in the meeting. Do you remember that? Huh? Yes, yes. So some people came to church, and there was David and Cindy. And I said, guys, you came to church on a really great day, and there was Cindy in Nadine's uh, 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 amended dress. And they were getting married on a Sunday morning so that, so that it could be done without huge cost. So uh, anyway... So I'll summarize. Uh, he said, as the Dwemini and the pastor of Froki, <laughs> and, uh, um, uh, as having been married for a while, what are some of the key or most important kind of role, role distinctions between us? Role and responsibility. Like, how do things work in our relationship? No, he asked you. Huh? <laughs> uh, is it? Um, so I think the way we've done it is I think there's some, there are some clear roles uh, defined in Scripture, but I think the way we understand those roles is normally actually cultural. And so often when people say it's the man's role too, and then they point to a Scripture, you're often actually culturally reading into the Scripture a role. And so I would just discourage that. I would discourage an easy quoting of Scripture where you actually, you're reading into Scripture a cultural thing. So I would say that within our marriage, I do believe that there's a role for, for the man to be the head of the home. But what does that mean? What does that look like in practice? That means if we hear a noise or there's a gecko, I must go. <laughs> it means I must put out the trash. I don't know how we got to that one from, uh, from the Scriptures, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, you must talk with the microphone. Um, so I, I, what I would say, maybe my best answer would be to say that we've worked out, we know who each other are, we know each other's strengths, and, uh, and, and we've, we've teamed everything. Um, but ultimately, I know that God called Adam, and, and even when Adam and Eve had gotten into that moment of sin, even though Eve got tempted by the, the serpent, God said, Adam, where are you? And uh, I know that ultimately God is going to hold me accountable for what happened in this family and in this marriage. And so I guess I see headship as equaling responsibility. So I take that responsibility on personally. But part of that responsibility is to talk with my wife and to and to team everything. So we really team everything. Hey? I mean, we talk every single day about every day. Um, and, and that's the best way to team together. So I would say really seeing your spouse, knowing what they're really good at, and then activating them in that, letting them bring that. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah, so Gareth was talking about like headship and stuff. And I think the kind of obvious other thing to talk about is submission of a wife, and I think it's kind of become a bit of a swear word almost in our culture, like, I will not submit, you know, we are equal, why should I submit to the man? But, you know, God's way is perfect, and we're not perfect, and so we do get His way wrong, because we maybe interpret it wrong, or do it wrong, or whatever, but I, I've never seen 
the kind of idea of submission as a negative thing. I suppose I had a good example with my mom and dad, but um, you know, if God has made the man the head of the relationship, but that doesn't mean he's my boss, you know, and lording it over me. I always like have the last word though. <laughs> yes, dear. <laughs> Which isn't really true. <laughs> um, so, kind of the way I see submission is that actually it's it's a bit of a kind of a freedom for me that there's certain things that actually stops with him because he's the head, and I don't have to worry about that. That's his baby. Um, so in submitting, I'm not just kind of like cowering under him thinking, you know, he's my boss. He's not my boss. He's my, my husband. And in submitting to him, it's, it's God's way of allowing him to kind of lead in the relationship, actually give me freedom to just be who I am and not have to worry about things that are not my responsibility. In two weeks' time, we've been married 27 years. And we courted for six years before that because we were 16 when we found each other. Um, and uh, there's only one time I've ever asked Nadine to submit to me because we were trying to make a decision that we, we just couldn't make the decision. And we'd actually gone, we were in Takai Forest. We'd gone to pray and uh, in Cape Town. And we'd gone to pray to seek God's wisdom as to what should we do. And uh, I felt God say to me while I was asking God, ask her to submit to you. And I was like, I've never asked her to submit to me. And it kind of felt like, you know, that would be me muscling up in the, in, in the decision-making process. And, but I felt that that's what God told me. So when we got back together, I said, she's like, what did you feel God say? So I told her, and she just looked relieved straight away and said, I'm so happy that you've just made that decision. I'll like tuck in with, with that decision. And I was like, oh my goodness, I thought this might be a bit of a bust up, you know what I mean? But it was this amazing thing where God was basically saying, make a decision and ask her to join you in that. But that's literally happened once in our entire marriage. Uh, and so there's this atmosphere of love and respect and care and honoring uh, and, and teaming together. So thanks for the question. Any other questions? Mm. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, what I will say is that um, in our marriage, that is one thing that has brought me into my knees because character-wise, um, my character is quite strong. And when I came to know the Lord, I know that I need to submit. But that has brought me into my knees because I need to pray more for that, for God to help me to submit to David. I want to, but my character is very strong. And God has helped me in this journey day by day, but I believe that there are in, 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 in us there are things that will bring us more into God in prayer because of opposite of what we should be doing. Most of the time I'm opposite, then we can pay, pray for David later. I'm opposite. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really opposite. Sometimes I will make decisions and I remember I haven't told David about this. He doesn't know about it and I rush and I have to speak, tell David, you know what, I've already agreed to this but I haven't told you. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then David need more prayers on that. But my heart, God knows that I've been praying towards God helping me. And in my upbringing, my mom was more like me. It was a very strong woman. And I won't say strong woman, in, in, not in church, because he, she wasn't a Christian. 
But for me, when I came to, to know Jesus and, uh, and, and follow Jesus, I've learned that what I've seen in my mom was not what should be happening. Then God is helping me, although I have that upbringing, and it's challenged me a lot. But with God's help and help that we get from our church, God is helping me into moving to the right direction of submitting to David. Oh, so let me try and uh, summarize. Uh, so the question is, um, in, in Zulu culture, uh, if you get married, you makoti, and your submission isn't just to your husband, but it's actually to the wider extended family. And then there are sometimes situations where if that family are unsaved, maybe there's a sacrifice happening or something, and you have a particular role that you're supposed to play according to the family. And now how do you handle that? Because now you've got your own convictions as a believer, and, it, and, and how do you handle situations like that? Is, that? is that a fair summary? Yeah, it's quite difficult when it comes to culture and Christianity sometimes, especially in the Zulu culture. So what happened to us, uh, we were saved, and then God was working in, uh, in everything that was happening between me and Cindy. So our family wasn't that involved in come to our, to our marriage because we knew if they get too much involved, there's so much that's going to happen that won't going to honor God in our marriage. So we honor them by telling them we are getting married, but we want to honor God. In a, we want to get married in a Christian way. So if we can respect it, that's to us. So God was so gracious because the... Everything that we said to them, to our parents, they like they're receiving. It's okay if you want to do it in that way. It's okay. Although some stuff we were, they were not happy about it. But when times goes by, they realize that we, what we, whatever we, we were doing was just to honor God with our marriage. Uh, I don't know, if you want to. I think to add on that, we've learned to to deal with each other's. Per, um, families. Yeah. If it's my family, I'm the one to deal with family. By, by God's grace, they end up understanding us. They will say first, oh, you are not doing these things, you know, and I was it's like, like a, thank you, Lord. It's it's not right. Or yes, okay. yeah. yes. You are not going to be a part of this because this is what we are doing. And we felt that most of heaviness was lifted up of our shoulders because they will say, we are doing this, but we know you are no longer doing that, we, we, but we want to just to let you know. And that takes so much um, pressure on us that we know we don't have to say no. They actually understood us. So they've kind of accepted Except, your position? Yes, yeah. they accepted our position, and now they're letting us know, by the way, that that is what they are doing. But I just felt that was the grace of God in us, because to deal with the pressure that comes... It's a real pressure from family when you get to born again because they steal your mom and dad, they steal your auntie, they steal your uncle. You love them. That's reality. You really love them. You don't want to just be cut out of your family. But God has helped us and gave us so much wisdom in that area of continue loving, not just cutting like I'm no longer a part of this, mm. but in the lovely way, maybe you're going to go and visit them in the following week with love and maybe bringing some stuff so that they know, they understand that you, you, you are not just don't want to be in what they are doing, but you're actually following Jesus. I don't know if that's making sense. Yeah. So what I want to say is that's so helpful, Cindy, and I want to say that there are some absolute heroes in our church 
who have gone through these sorts of issues. And if you're facing these challenges of how do I, how do I deal with extended family, how do I deal with Christ and culture, please reach out and we can connect you with people that have, have walked this road. You don't have to walk it alone. Uh, and it's so important to have these conversations. Hey, I was sad that the first week where we preached into family, that there wasn't more discussion around these sorts of issues because I think they are so relevant. And I would just urge you to reach out to a community group leader, reach out to other people, or even just come to Rob or I and ask us, and we'll, we can either help you or direct you. But as you've heard, there's an incredible story here in David and Cindy, and there's others as well who've really navigated these, these journeys. Uh, is it, I'm just going to make time for one more question, then we're going to close the meeting. Uh, I know that we've been here for a long time, but I hope that this has been helpful. Is there any, anyone who has one more? So the question is like, how oh, did you do, how did you do singleness oh, well? Oh, okay. Maybe let's just do a bit of our background. We met, I met David when I was only 14 and David was 17. And we were not in courtship for, the, for 14 years. We were, we were not believers. But that one year that David came to know the Lord, I've seen there's something changed about him. I didn't know what it is, but there was so much changed. And then I came to know the Lord also. And that instant change also happened in my life. And we have, and then we, we did courtship with Nadine and Gareth, which was in a long courtship also. Was, everything was happening so fast. <laughs> <laughs> I just got saved. I didn't David know the next day I will be married. <laughs> like when I, like by the time I opened my eyes, I was a married woman. <laughs> everything <laughs> it happened so quickly. <laughs> but we, 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 we really um, stopped. But David was already changed. I didn't understand him. I was speckling around him because he just changed. And I was like, let me go to this church and see what is happening. And, and, but it didn't last longer, which means it wasn't much of a challenge for us because the 11 years or the 10 years we were outside of God. We were just living our lives. But the one year that we, we gave our lives to the Lord, we, because of David's change, I was like kind of following up, okay, that's what we're not doing anymore. But it was more of David <laughs> at that time. I was just following up. At that time, I was submitting at that time. <laughs> I think what I would say is your question, uh, like we could easily have done a whole sermon on singleness. Uh, felt really challenged, like Greg was like, you should have just preached three sermons, you know, uh, th th this morning. Um, I would encourage young people to get together. There's great resources on how do you make the most of singleness, how do you, and, and I think it's, a, it's an undervalued topic. Um, I think quite often in church, it's just you're not married. So you're not invited to this married thing or, you know, don't have sex, you know, like, like that. That's all we can say to single people sometimes, whereas in actual fact, there's a rich tapestry in Scripture of single people who honored God with their, their lives. And I really wanted, that's why I rebuked Prince a little bit, because it, I think we give single people a hard time. We don't, we don't acknowledge them. We don't see them. And I really love that to change uh, in our church.